All right, why don't we begin with prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are here right now, and in about an hour, about to go out and speak with people who don't know and share the good news, the gospel that has been such a blessing to us. I pray right now that we may impart it with such zeal and joy and love, and that we would know that what we have in our hearts, that we can give something to them, new life, new satisfaction, new purpose. So we pray in this time, if we are scared, nervous, or whatever feelings we are going through right now in our hearts, would you calm us? May your gospel just be an assurance to our hearts and give us hope that we may impart it to all those that we see at the beach later this evening. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what's going on, everyone? Uh, If you don't know who I am, I think a lot of you don't know who I am. My name is uh, Luke Kim, and I am on staff at MSU. And this is actually my first ever project ever. Um, <clears throat> it's weird because I'm on staff. I jumped the ladder. I've never been a disciple, never been a room leader or a team leader. So I have no idea what it feels like to be in your shoes. So I think a lot of you came out to me, hey, Luke, what's going on next? I'm like, dude, I'm just as lost as you are. I don't know what's happening. So um, <clears throat> just ask some other student or ask some other team leader because they know a lot more than I do. Um, And if some of you hated it the first week, I hated it a lot more than you did. I guarantee you that. But um, I'm actually really excited to be here now. It's been a real good joy to be with you all, to disciple and to learn and to grow in the word and to share the gospel with all those around us. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this talk. And this talk, what I'll be touching on today is kind of a continuation of the talk that we talked about with Zach, the definition of evangelism. Does anybody remember how Zach defined evangelism? A couple weeks ago, you might have to look through your notes. Say it again, George. Yes, teaching the gospel with an aim to persuade. So this afternoon, what I'll be doing is we'll be unpacking that definition so that you may understand what the gospel is so that when you go out, you may share the gospel in a persuasive way. But more specifically, what I want to talk on is how we understand the definition of the gospel, how we can have a better harness and uh, articulation of how we can send it to other people that we meet today. And I think a lot of you may be thinking, well, I kind of already know what the gospel is. Uh, I just want to know some tips and advice of how to talk with people, how to interact with those who I've never met, how to be more approachable. And I get that. Those can be great to learn, but I would say those things are just mere supplements in evangelism. They are not the substance. Because the substance in sharing the gospel is knowing the gospel itself. And the reason why you must know the gospel is because if you are distorting the gospel the way Paul talks about in Galatians, then you are not talking about the true gospel that he declares. So the substance of your evangelism is never about how much charisma you exude or the intelligence you have in your response to people, but your substance in your evangelism is always in your ability to share the gospel with clarity. It is not in your bravery. 
It's the question that you need to always ask yourself again and again. It's not, man, it, how can I approach this person? How can I talk to this person in a way where I seem very attractive or appealing? The question that you need to always ask yourself when you go out, anytime you evangelize is, do I understand the gospel in a way that I can articulate it to my brother and sister that he may understand it? That's the question that you need to ask yourself. What I have personally found is that in my history of meeting college students like yourselves and you students, many times, nine times out of ten, they don't really know what the gospel is. Remember I was studying the gospel with uh, students at MSU, I went over the book of Galatians, and I said, hey, what is the gospel? Went with one by one, and this guy named uh, Hyunjin, he would be like, oh, gospel is love. I'm like, okay. Another guy named John, he said, gospel is forgiveness. Okay. Another person said, gospel is the Bible. Okay. Another person said, gospel is the cross. And I, okay, I get that. Those are all sort of right. At the same time, I would say they are not the definition of the gospel itself. You're only giving components and pieces of the gospel. And I think a lot of us, we do that. We always go up to say, hey, the gospel is the best news that you could ever have. Someone's there, it's like, okay, why? I don't understand. And a lot of times we do that. We, we over-spiritualize saying the cross is the most important or, or the, the forgiveness aspect of it is the most important piece of the gospel. But we need to understand there's multiple components in understanding of how different parts of this redemptive story make this message called the gospel good news. So what I want to do, I want to illustrate this by showing you a clip how many of you know who Billy Mays is? It's a show of hands. Who's Billy Mays? OxyClean. So it's OxyClean, right. Uh, Billy Mays, he got really famous for his infomercial called OxyClean. And <clears throat> what I want you to observe from this infomercial is not how much confidence or charisma he has in making the product desirable, but I want you to kind of observe and how he makes the product desirable, the method that he does it. All right, so can you just Play the clip right now and just see how he does this. Watch how OxyClean unleashes the power of oxygen, making tough stains disappear like magic without fading or bleeding the colors. For pet messes, OxyClean come up. It goes deep down below the surface to get rid of the stain and the odor. Have you ever spilled chlorine bleach on your colored clothes? Well, OxyClean is tough on stains without the damaging effects of chlorine bleach. If you save one pair of jeans, then OxyClean has made for itself. Some clothes say no chlorine bleach, but OxyClean safely removes the stain, even on babies' clothes. It's the stain remover for the things that you love. Add a scoop of OxyClean to every load of laundry. It'll boost the stain-removing power of your detergent. All right, just a show of hands, how many of you bought OxyClean or your parents bought OxyClean? Did it work? It does. <laughs> That's good news. Um, <clears throat> can anybody tell me what Billy did that made the product such a desirable product? Lexi. Uh, he showed us how it worked. He showed us how it worked, yes. Anything else? He showed us that it did work. He showed us it did work, okay. Anything else? He gave examples from like, all aspects of the 
Mm-hmm. He was excited about himself. Yes, he was. You're going to say that? Okay. I think what Billy did such a good job in for this infomercial was that he didn't make this product just desirable. He showed that this product is a need. And how he did that was, look, you see that stain? Only OxyClean can get rid of that. You see that? And I think a lot of us, when we show or articulate the gospel, it says, oh, the gospel is the best news that you will ever hear. You need it. It gives you satisfaction. And that's it. But a lot of times, people will say, okay, I get that, but why do I need Jesus? And the way that you show people and tell people why they need Jesus is by saying that there is a bad news first. That stain, that sin that came from Adam and Eve, that's why Christ is the best news that you will ever hear. Because that sin has, crossed, has caused a chasm between you and God. No, nothing else but Christ can remove that stain, not even OxyClean. That's why it's such a great way that Billy did it. He made it a need. And that's what you all have to do today is that when you share the gospel, you're not just saying that you, you should desire it, but you, you have to say, you really need this. There is no other way that your sin can be dissolved but through Christ alone. So <clears throat> the way that you do this is within your gospel proclamation. You need to have a gospel precision for a gospel transformation. It is in your clarity. It's not in your bravery. So here are two ways that the gospel is often defined. These terminologies are not my own, but from Matt Chandler, the lead pastor at uh, Village Church of Dallas, Texas. He talks about two ways called gospel on the ground and gospel in the air. We'll talk about gospel on the ground first. But gospel on the ground is not necessarily saying, okay, when I'm walking here on earth, this is when I use it. It's just more saying that gospel on the ground is it's more connecting people on a personal level. How salvation applies to you in a restoration, reconciliation to Christ. And there are four components to this, okay? I'll go through this really quickly so it won't be too long. It's God, man, Christ, and response. God, man, Christ, and response. So number one, God. The gospel we must always remember, doesn't begin with you. The gospel always has begun with God. It's not about you, but it's for you. The gospel is always about God. And if people don't entertain the idea of God, of who he say he is in the Bible, then no- nothing else in the gospel will ever make sense. Look at what Paul says in Romans 11, 33 to 36 talks about God this way. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul describes God here as just incomprehensibly immense, just expansive, all-sufficient, all-knowing, unsearchable, holy, and ultimately that God is for God. And everything that God has created from the depths of the sea to the creatures on the land to the stars in the sky, God has created so that they may worship Him. 
We need to describe God in a way that everything the gospel is about God. And even with creation of us as man, which leads to our second point, we were created to worship him as well, to have communion with him. But what happened? What happened to this perfect communion that was existing in Genesis 1 and 2? What happened? What happened from that? Separated from our sins from the fall. Yes. Because of our sins, God now has undesired or just this does not want to be any association with sin itself within us. Does that make sense? God, he is so holy that sin, corruption, and wickedness cannot be in association with him. The way he looks at sin is despised. He hates it, so he punishes those that are in sin. And because of all of us in creation as men and women, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But what ha- so how do we get away from this eternal death that we deserve from our own sins? How do we get reconciled back to God? <coughs> Jesus, yes. Jesus is the good answer to say. Right? Christ, number three, Christ. God came in the flesh in the incarnation of Christ. And God decided sometimes to take his own wrath so that we may come in reconciliation with him. But why, why, did, why did God do this? Why, what was his motive in bringing his son, Jesus Christ, for us? I'm not giving you, like, really hard theological questions, I hope. For what? For the forgiveness of our sins. But what was his motive? His glory and his grace. Because he loves us. That's the only reason, his main motive. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us. There's nothing else that he, there's no other motive, nothing that we did that he sent Christ for. It was all compelled by love. That is the greatest news that we could hear that. Nothing that we have to do to earn Christ's salvation. And hearing that Christ died for us, we then respond, number four, right? There are two ways I respond. What are the two ways that we respond to the message of this gospel message? Say that again. Reject or accept, right? We either believe or we have a hardness of heart. And I hope that when you guys go out today, someone rejects you. You'd be like, oh, you're going to hell. That's not what you're, you should say. You should, you should be like, okay, just pray for that person. Whether Paul planted Apollo's water, God gives the growth, right? But you need to articulate and say, if you want to believe in Christ and know that he is the only way to salvation, eternal life, then you must repent. A lot, about, a lot of times you say, all right, I believe in Jesus, but you need to move on a step forward and say, okay, you need to repent and believe in the gospel. Repent of your sins, your wickedness. What is repentance? Someone say that really quick. Turning from your own sins or your sins itself, right? So this is how personally 
gospel on the ground affects us for salvation and reconciling us back to God. This is one way that we have to find the gospel. The other way is gospel in the air. Gospel in the air is more of a cosmic level. So if gospel on the ground was a personal level, gospel in the air is a cosmic level. How all things in the world restore back to Christ, not just humanity itself. And just like the gospel on the ground, this also has four parts. It's creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Creation, fall, I'm sorry, not redemption, reconciliation, consummation. So number one, creation. How did God create everything that we see here below? He spoke into life. Everything out of his breath. Just think about everything that he just spoke into existence. And in Genesis 1 and 2, what we find that creation was meant to be was perfect harmony between man and God, man and nature, and man and man. Right? Everything was just rainbows and unicorns in Genesis 1 and 2. But what we find in Genesis 3 to everything to Revelation, it's all about how we messed up and how God is reconciling back us, reconciling back everything back to him. The rest of the Bible, that thick Bible we have, it's all about how we need to forgive our sins and how God needs to restore all of us. What we must understand about God and his creation, that God didn't create everything so that it would be an end to itself, but God created everything so that we may worship him. And everything that was created that was given to us that we may worship through it. So when you're on the beach and you see a sunset reflecting off the ocean, that should create some kind of worship to God. Or whether you're seeing the Martini's child and just seeing how they're loving her, and that should somehow create some kind of affection and worship for the Lord. Or whether you're eating something, uh, I don't know, from Dagwoods, that should somehow create worship to God. Even Taylor Swift, listening to her, can possibly create some kind of worship (laughs) to God himself, right? Everything that God has created is to exemplify his glor- how glorious our God is. But what we also find in creation is that everything has been altered and disrupted because of the fall. Creation is not what it used to be. That's why the, when, when the fall came, our second point, it didn't just affect, affect all of us as humans, but it also affected all the natural things of the world. So that's why we see tornadoes, hurricanes, um, natural tsunamis, um, anything that we see in news of, of the natural disasters, it's all because of sin. Romans 8.22 says, the whole creation has been groaning. And the reason why we also get tired at work from Walmart or Chick-fil-A is because of sin. Genesis 3.17 says this, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The sin has caused many disruptions of what was meant to be, and now everything has caused chaos. This is one of the main reasons why we have a lack of peace in this world. It has caused a disorder. 
But the gospel brings this peace into this chaotic world. It brings to our third point of reconciliation. So how is man and God reconciled back together? Who can tell me that? Jesus died on the cross. Those who believe in him, right? We have now that bridge diagram only through Christ. But it's not just us that is being bridged together. Look what it says in Colossians 1, 15, 17. It says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you see the cosmic implications we see here when Christ reconciles all things? It's not just us, but all things from heaven and earth. It's being united together. From the trees to the plants to the oceans, all things are being united back to Christ. So it's not that Jesus isn't individually your savior in the gospel, but he's also the sustainer and the creator of all things. And in Christ, all things hold together. That's the reconciliation that we also see in the effects, not just on a personal level, but a cosmic level. So Christ, isn't, Christ is so much bigger than making it about you and me, but he also involves the whole world in the cosmos. <coughs> Which leads to our last point for this gospel in the air, is consummation. Anybody know what consummation means or the definition? If not, that's fine. <clears throat> it, it means to the point at which something is finalized or perfected. And those who trust in Christ are being made righteous through the Spirit's sanctifying work will then be promised into a consummated state. So you see how that works? Well, if we are justified in Christ, then we are now being sanctified by the Spirit. And those who are being sanctified will then be glorified. You get that? And what it means to be glorified, what we see in 1 Corinthians 15, is that we will have new, glorified, imperishable bodies in our resurrection state. So in the new heavens, new earth, what it would look like is that our new body, we won't ever suffer, we won't ever weep, we won't groan, we won't cry, we won't have to see our family members going through pain, going to the hospital for the ER, we won't have to work so hard. Everything, all of that, it will be no more. And Augustine said this about our energy being re redirected. It's that all the energy that went into now goes into praising, ruling, and reigning with God. Everything that we do here now is now being redirected in the heavens and our glorified state. We're just going to be worshiping our God. Just worshiping, praising Him, and loving Him. And we will never grow tired. We won't have to sleep at all. We won't have to eat. We won't have to be hungry because God is there and we will be perfected in that state. So this glorified state of worshiping God is what we are praying towards. We are aiming towards that. We are fasting towards that. This is where we put our hope in. This is why John, at the end of Revelation 22:20, 20, he says, Come, Lord Jesus. I want 
to be with you in the heavens. Because all of us, we are eagerly waiting for the time of our glorified state with Christ. So we have these two categories here, gospel on the ground, gospel in the air. But there are traps to both sides if we stay too long on one side or the other. If we do gospel on the ground, we make too much in defining that gospel about you and I more than about God himself. If we stay too much in the gospel in the air, we, we kind of forget that how this implies to one of us or how this restores you into new life for our brothers and sisters. So we need to have a good mixing of the both. Chandler says this about what it looks like for gospel in the air. We see that the gospel is not just about God's forgiving us of sins and giving us eternal life, but also about what we are be, being forgiven for and what eternal life is like. So what I want us to do for our workshop today is going back to that bridge diagram that you've been using. See, how many of you have the track with you? No one has a track? Okay. Well, <clears throat> I'd just like to say I'm, not, I'm no expert in this track here. Um, staff, if you can help me out and go through this, it'll help. Uh, I would also say, just for a disclaimer, the bridge diagram is not the method, it is a method. That's not the only way to share the gospel. I, but uh, the reason why I share these two, gospel in the ground, gospel in the air, is that you can have categories that when you're sharing with people to have different words and um, terminologies of how you can articulate of what that means for the person in front of you. So here's uh, this track here, the bridging the gap to life. Um, I think oftentimes, let's say if I met some guy named Bob on the beach, I don't know what small talk I made, but oftentimes what you would start with is usually by saying, hey, Bob, what, is, what do you think is the purpose of life? What do you think is your means to the end of all that you do? And whatever he says probably could be good or bad. Um, you then bridge that by saying, well, okay, let me tell you by what the Bible says in what <clears throat> the purpose of our existence in life is. Um, um, I know. I, I think Reed wanted me to coach through you guys about how to go through this, but I think what we can just do right now is, with with the people that you're going to go out with today, why don't you just get together, and with the bridge diagram or what any other method. Um, get together and talk about how you can be better um, approaching people and talking about going through these steps together. So I'm not very good at going through this. So yeah, Charlie, you can go through this. Okay, here's what I would do. So actually, I think staff would agree that this booklet is kind of a little confusing. And so, as I was like flipping through it, I'm like, oh man, this is like not how I learned it. So, like typically, if I met Luke on the beach, you know, we would small talk, whatever. And you actually start off really well of like, hey man, what do you think the meaning of life is? And so the first page here is bridging the gap to life. And so he asked the question, um, like what do you think the meaning of life is? And so like, well, everyone wants to be truly satisfied. Everyone is looking for something. Everyone is looking for the meaning of life, right? 
And so that's the gap. That is the gap. And so we presented a little bit differently two weeks ago, but that could be a way at least how the book the booklet goes through it. And so you know they'll say an answer whether good or bad or something like that. And then you can say if you flip to the next page, if you have the booklet, there's like a green tab, and that's where Romans six twenty three comes in. This little page here, this one. No one see that? Yeah. And so then you can explain. Well, here's what the Bible says. Um, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Christ Jesus. And so we see that there's a gap, and then you can kind of start. That at least gets you started of now you're talking out the verse. And that's two weeks ago when we talked about what's a wage, what's sin, uh, and those things. And then on the opposite side, you know, what's a gift? You know, and you can go through it verse by verse. And it's really good that I think we're, we're revisiting this and we're going to practice it again. And so it's a little confusing to get started, but that's how you should go about it is the gap that the booklet explains is actually the gap of, of like, what is the meaning of life and, and what's, what's the ends? I think you said, what's the ends your means? I really like that. I might use that. Um, so that's to get you started. And then you can run through the verse. And so the booklet is a little confusing, at least how we presented it. But does that make sense? Yeah? Great. Cool. Thanks for the chant, by the way. I really um, I would that. just add with... If someone were to say to you at the end, say, okay, that's awesome, you should also direct them as to where they think they are. And also walk through them in, I think sometimes having them walk through repentance is always good. Uh, sometimes just leaving them hanging and just saying, okay, uh, we'll see you later. I think maybe even just closing with prayer, saying, hey, if you don't believe in Christ, um, I think the Bible uh, would say you need to repent of your sins and God will forgive you. And through Christ, um, he will by your faith, justify you, and you'll be saved in his love. So you can walk through steps of prayer through that, and uh, why don't you just get together with the people you're going to go out with today and just walk through the bridge diagram once more time. Cool?